Good morning, everybody. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. It's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. So we're going to worship him this morning. We just ask that you would join in and just let God move in your heart. And if you would, and if you can, stand to your feet and give God praise.
Please be seated and join with me as we come to the Lord in prayer. Have mercy upon us, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out our transgressions, wash us thoroughly from our iniquity, and cleanse us from our sin. For we acknowledge our transgressions, and our sin is always before us. Against you, you only have we sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, we were brought forth in iniquity, and in sin our mothers conceived us. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make us to know wisdom. Heavenly Father, we, your people, the flock that you shepherd, humbly kneel before you in sorrow and in fear as we consider how far our country has fallen. There was a time that we at least tried to honor and respect you as a nation, but now we have utterly lost our way. Our children can no longer speak to you in prayer in our schools, can no longer read your holy word in schools, and in our schools your commandments are dishonored and ignored. In the name of choice, we have slaughtered over 70 million unborn children. Professing ourselves to be wise, we have become fools as we celebrated unholy and unnatural marriage and every form of perversion and confusion. Yet even in the midst of this nightmare that we have brought upon ourselves, there is hope. If we confess our sins and repent, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Purge us with hyssop and we shall be clean. Wash us and we shall be whiter than snow. Make us hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from our sins and blot out all our iniquities. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew steadfast spirits within us. Do not cast us away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and uphold us by your generous spirit. Then we will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Dear Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may leave behind the darkness and step into the light of your presence. And as we dwell with you, may we take on your light and bring that light to wherever you choose to take us. Help us to become the salt of the earth. And as salt slows decay, we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will slow the decay of our country. We ask that you strengthen and enable us to take up our crosses daily and follow you. That the Spirit of the Lord God will be upon us because he has anointed us to preach good tidings to the poor, to bring healing to the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, to comfort all who mourn, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. How are we all doing this morning? Everybody raved the torrential hurricane that was the cloudy weather that came in? I was just laughing on our way in. I don't know about you guys. It feels like in San Diego, the second clouds come out, everybody just assumes it's going to pour, and so they stay home. But we've got our loving few that showed up today. We absolutely love you guys. Thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful, wonderful Sunday. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the Director of Student Ministries here at La Jolla Community Church, and I just want to thank you so, so much for joining us here on this lovely Sunday. A few things I would love to draw your attention to. On your way in, you should have received a little packet that's got some cards in it. If you did not, there are a few on your way out that you can grab. 
inside that packet, first and foremost, we would love you to take a moment, fill out that Connect card. This is how we can get you plugged in here at La Jolla Community Church. If it's your first Sunday or even your thousandth Sunday and you just want to let us know how you want to get plugged in, how you want to get engaged here at church, please take a moment to fill that out. We've, we're growing here a lot. We're doing a lot of really fun and amazing things. This last Friday, we had an awesome, awesome children's ministry event out on the lawn. We had a hundred families come out and hang out with us. It was super, super fun. Just had a blast hanging out last week. Absolutely loved it. So if you want to get involved in some of the wonderful, amazing things going on here at La Jolla Community Church, take a moment, fill out that Connect card. Let us know what ministry you would like to be a part of so we can get you plugged in. Other uh, card I would love to bring your attention to is the prayer request card. We at La Jolla Community Church believe in the power of prayer. We believe in coming together, lifting each other up, and praying for all the needs in our community. So if you've got something that you're struggling with in your life, I don't know about you, but if you've been finding struggles to, to fit back in in your, your role in this world, relearning friendships, relearning where you fit in your family, uh, we would love to pray for that. We would love to pray for you. So take a moment, fill out that prayer request card. If you've got something that you want to praise the Lord for, something amazing, glorious, wonderful that happened in your life, we want to join you in that prayer. My favorite thing that I get to do every single week is pray individually over every single prayer request card that gets submitted. So please take a moment, fill that out. We would love, love, love to shower you in prayer and love on you. With both that connect card, the prayer request card, and the offering envelope that is in that packet, feel free to drop those off. There's a box mounted on the wall and baskets on your way out. Hello, Welcome Center. I hope everybody's doing wonderful over there. There's a box also mounted in the Welcome Center, so we'd absolutely love for you guys just to drop those off on your way out. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. And with that, I would love to welcome Scott up to lead us in a message. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here. Uh, I would love for you to think of a moment, maybe in your past, where someone in your life was intense with you. They got intense with you. Let me tell you a few quick stories. My mom is probably uh, maybe the most intense person I know. Just lives at a... I don't know, what do you call it? A high temperature, <laughs> high RPMs, anything, almost anything that happens, there's an intense reaction. Uh, a few of our favorite stories, my sister and I growing up, we went on a couple trips uh, to Europe when I was, I think, early teenager, an older sister. We were in Venice and taking a little ferry from the parking lot into town, into Venice. And for some reason, the way, I don't know if you noticed in other countries, oftentimes the way they do lines is a little bit different than they do in the United States. So as the time was for the boat to get on, uh, for everyone to get on, everyone kind of bunched together, and my mom kind of was at the back. And right when she's about to get there, they kind of close the rope. She's on shore, and her small teenage children are on the boat. The favorite moment for my sister and I was standing there, we don't care, <laughs> watching her flail and just start screaming, my babies, <laughs> my babies, as though she's never going to see us again. And the boat captain stopped and let her on. Uh, like a week later, we were in London. And there, to her credit, there had been a couple threats of bombs. Remember back kind of in the 90s, 80s, 90s? Was it the IRA, I think? So there were some threats of bombs in London. We were getting off the tube, still underground, walking up to whatever city we're going to, whatever stop we're going to. And all of a sudden, there were the flashing lights and kind of sirens. And my mom instantly, because she lives at a high level, high intensity, thought, we're, you know, we're about to be bombed, we're about to be killed. This time, very different reaction for her, still intense. She actually kind of divided us like Moses in the Red Sea, pushed us both to the sides of the wall and started running. I've never seen my mom run. That was the one time we saw her run to her own safety. 
week before, and we were, again, we didn't care, teenagers, we're just walking, we're like, look at mom. We got up to the top, and she was like standing there panting, let's go, guys, let's go. I'm like, mom, you're the only one running in all of London. <laughs> she got intense, and where did she get it? I think she got it from my grandpa. My grandpa also lived at a high intensity. Almost anything that he went through, there was a big reaction. He also was my hero. I spent a lot of time with him growing up. Kind of the guy that taught me how to uh, fish and hunt and play baseball. He actually helped me start a business one day together, him and I. uh, It's a long story. But one day, he really got into model rockets. He saw someone at a park blasting off model rockets. So he learned how to do it so that he could do it with me. So at 10, 11 years old, he and I would go, and he lived just uh, two minutes away from my house. In the summer, I would often go, and we would go off into a park and light off these model rockets. And my grandpa, as intense as he was, always was buying new rockets, bigger ones. Bigger ones every time. I'd go over, like, oh, my gosh. He's like, look at this one. It's like the MX-2000. <laughs> and uh, the, the last time, the last time we ever blew off model rockets was this particular day. It was the biggest one. It was as tall as I was. And he had all these little, I don't know what exactly the, uh, was it, was it gunpowder or something that he was using at that point to shoot these things off into space. He shot the thing off. And as he's looking up, we're both looking up, we can tell right about when the time is, they have these little parachutes that open. There's no parachute. Nothing opens. And we kind of stand there for another split second, and then my grandpa's prone to saying things you shouldn't say in church. He said something to the effect of, I don't think it's opening. <laughs> I said, I don't think it is either. And he looks at me and just yells, looks in my eyes, looked at me with intensity and says, run. <laughs> so him and I, he's 75 years old. We're both running in opposite directions because we don't know when this five-foot rocket is going to land. <laughs> and sure enough, in between us, the thing lands and goes into the turf three feet. It's got two feet sticking out. That could have been us. And that's when my grandma ended our rocket adventure. Uh, A close cousin to getting intense, because we all know people and have all had experiences of intensity where someone gets intense with us. Whether it's a parent, whether it's a boss, whether it's a teacher, a coach, we've all had moments, and we remember those moments, don't we? We remember times when people were intense with us. They have a way of sticking with us. A close cousin to being intense is being harsh. You can be intense. My grandpa was intense. My mom was intense. But I don't ever remember them being harsh. Close cousins being harsh. We really remember those moments when someone was harsh with us. Where does that come from? Uh, If you've heard me speak before, and I've spoken here a few times, I often talk about my journey as a a youth sports coach. And now, yesterday, uh, two days ago, I just got my new squad, uh, under 10 girls soccer. And you probably wouldn't know this, but for 20, the first 20 teams I coached, basketball, baseball, soccer, uh, we went 0-20 in terms of championships. <laughs> we, I say we, it's me. I uh, like to blame my kids, too. Uh, went 0-20, for but we, now we, <laughs> we're working on a three-peat. The last two seasons, uh, I've won championships. I mean, no small thing, no small thing to me. Uh, so maybe this is a beginning of a dynasty. Unfortunately, <laughs> our two older kids have phased out of me coaching them. And here's the story. My son is too old for me to coach. My daughter, middle daughter, she's 12. She's a good soccer player. And before the pandemic, she had decided, I don't want to play this season. I want to take a season off, is what she said. She said, okay. She was 11 at the time. 
But over the pandemic, she's uh, our child our, uh, of our three that really took a liking to staying indoors for the 17 months, really, really took a liking to like not doing anything. And so I feel like half of parenting, as you know, is just experimenting. We just kind of try something, see if it works. So my wife and I, when soccer, uh, rec soccer signups came up, we decided to try it. Let's see what will happen if we sign up our 12-year-old without telling her. <laughs> so uh, it's an experiment, right? We signed her up, and the other day when we got the roster and an email, we said, hey, good news, bad news, Grace. <laughs> good news, bad news. Uh, good news is you're going to learn how to, like, run again and <laughs> be outside. It's going to be good for you. You're going to love it. She's like, what's the bad news? So, well, we signed you up for soccer. And her instant, no, I'm not playing. Uh, she did. We took her to practice. My wife took her to practice. I didn't know what it would turn into. I didn't know the coach. I'm not coaching her this time. And I'm coaching my little girl because I've got a dynasty to <laughs> cultivate here. Uh, but she came back from practice, and, and I said, how was it? And she said, fun. And her face was all lit up. I said, really? I don't know why I was surprised, but I said, fun? She said, yeah, it was really cool. I go, really? She goes, yeah. It was really nice not to have you as my coach. Like, what are you talking about? We had so much fun together. She's like, no, you were always too intense with me. And I looked at my wife and I'm like, as for some sort of support. I was fun, right? And she, my wife just like, you were too intense. <laughs> oh, man, like I'm trying. I've been trying. What we're going to talk about this morning is the idea of intensity and harshness and its effect on our relationships. Because I know what we want, I know what you want, I know what I want. I want close relationships. I want relationships of trust, of connection. I want strong relationships to those people close to me that we can count on each other. They can count on me and I can count on them. That especially in bad moments, in our hard moments, difficult moments, even intense moments, that we won't experience harshness from them. We'll experience gentleness. We'll experience kindness, patience, goodness, <laughs> self-control. We'll experience these things from these close people. That's what we want. But too often, our relationships, the things that we want, get ruined in some bad moments. And so how do we walk through those? How do we work through those? And the ultimate question, I think, for being a Christian and following Christ is not how do we try harder to be like Jesus? How do we try harder to be nicer? How do we do better and not getting caught being human? That's not the whole thing. The whole thing is how do we actually change from the inside out? So that what happens in intense moments, that our nature is good. Our nature, is, it just comes out of us, kindness and goodness and gentleness. How do we do that? We're going to dig into that a little bit. And with that, we need to pray. God, we come here not to learn new rules or to find another list of things to try or to do. We come here to change. We come here to have encounters with you and to be changed by you. We want to be like you. We want to learn how to do our lives the way you would do our lives if you were in us and working through us, if you were in charge. So I pray, God, that you would help us to figure out how to do that, how to become more gentle. We pray this in your name. Amen. I didn't have to look far in the gospel stories I just thought, as Steve, part of my joke with Steve whenever I speak here, uh, the joke is, who put you up to this? Who, who gave you, 
who gave you the idea to give me the assignment to preach on this? That's the joke that Steve and I always have. This time he said it, <laughs> it was your wife, it was your kids, it was your coworkers, it was your neighbors. They all conspired and called me and said, you know what, let's give Schimmel this idea of gentleness. So I didn't have to look far. I just thought, I wonder if there's examples in the scriptures of where Jesus himself modeled gentleness. I didn't have to look far. Mark chapter 1. <laughs> I started in Mark. Mark chapter 1. I just want to read three quick stories Because I think what I've learned about reading the Bible, and there's a lot to this, the more I return to reading the stories in the four Gospels about Jesus, the more I'm realizing that those stories are in there for a reason. For me to have another example of what it looks like to live a life the way God would want us to live. So here's a quick story. A man, this is Mark chapter 1, verse 40, a man with leprosy, came and knelt in front of Jesus. And if you know anything, if there's kind of anything to know about this particular scene, at their time, their time, the idea of someone having an illness, a virus, that could infect someone else. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having this thought that someone might get close to you with a virus and contaminate you and completely ruin your life? Can you imagine that sort of scene? I don't know if you can, but... This guy, the idea of leprosy, they had no understanding of what leprosy was or where it came from. They had, no, uh, they had no microscope, they had no MRI machine, they had no blood samples, but they had the idea that when people get close to someone who has this virus, this, this, this sickness inside them, if we get close to them, we will get it too. And so can you imagine, that's an intense moment, to have someone who has this virus that is extremely contagious, an intense moment where that person comes near you, and not just near you, kneels in front of you, right here. When their whole society was built, let's keep whoever has this virus, let's keep them away from us. Let's quarantine these people with this virus. You stay there so much so that they would actually have to make it known if they had the virus. People with leprosy, number one, had to have a particular dress. They had to wear it, almost like imagine uh, a, a mummy that you would see in a cartoon. They have to kind of look different. They would have to set themselves apart so you could see them from far away. They'd also have to wear bells so that you could hear them coming close to you. They'd also have to, they would have to, upon punishment of stoning and death, they would have to shout out to anybody that got within earshot, they would have to shout out unclean. They would have to let you know that they had the virus. Now, we think it's bad, right, with what we're going through? Can you imagine that? Unclean, look at me. And they had to live together, never, ever, ever again to get close, physically close to someone who didn't have the virus. They could never again in their entire lives. So I can imagine that would be an intense moment. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus. How is he going to respond? That's the question. How is he going to respond to this intense moment? I can think of a lot of different examples. I can think of a lot of different responses. I could think of many of us having responses that were intense, potentially even harsh. Here's what the guy wants to do. Comes and kneels in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. And he says this to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me, you can heal me and make me clean. Here's the response. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. And he says this, I am willing, be healed. 
instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. In that intense moment, when Jesus could respond quite nobly and rightly in such a way as, number one, how dare you get this close? Who taught you to do that? How did you break the rules? Number two, do you know who I am? I am in the form and garb of a religious teacher, which is even worse for you to come and try to infect me with all these people around. How dare you? Someone handle this guy. Someone get him out of here. Guys, we have to have a new system. We need to be on the lookout for God. They're going to start, apparently they're going to start coming. He could have done any of that, and no one would have not only blinked, they would have said, of course, how just and how right is this man? We need to have better protection, better security. We need to have more quarantine. We need to have more uh, fences to get into who he is. That's the first story. Second story, Mark chapter 2. You didn't have to go too far. When Jesus returned to Capernaum a few days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them in the scene where in a small house, standing room only, uh, uh, standing room only as he's trying to preach and communicate this word to these people, uh, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they couldn't get him in to Jesus because of the crowd. So what did they do? They went home. No. What did they do? They waited. No. What did they do? They uh, kind of tapped. Could, you, could we? No. They decided to cut a hole in the roof of this house where Jesus was. And it's different than our roofs, probably. I don't know where you live, but it's probably a little bit more complicated. But back then, you could conceivably, with your hands, and fingers and nails, you could make a hole in the roof. And they did that and lowered their friends, their paralyzed friend, on the mats to Jesus inside this house. And I would imagine it's kind of a messy thing that they were doing. Uh, messy, coming down, straw, hay, dirt, dust, into this crowded house. How is Jesus going to respond? How would you respond? What are you doing here? What are you thinking? You couldn't have waited? I'm trying to do something important here. Have you ever been, by the way, ever been interrupted for work by one of your kids? Anybody work from home in the last year and a half? Been interrupted by your kids? I'm doing something important here. Your father is on a call. I have a Zoom meeting. How dare you? I'm trying to give a presentation. Would you quiet down? I have reactions that come out of me that are different than the ways Jesus responds. He doesn't respond that way. Seeing their faith, this is what the story says. Jesus sees their faith. It's a tricky little phrase there. Sees their faith. I would say sees their <laughs> imposition, sees their disrespect, sees their impatience, sees their immaturity. Those are the things I see. Jesus sees their faith and says to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Which, by the way, is probably not the front reason they brought a paralyzed man. It's probably not to forgive their sins. They need something else to go on. There's a longer story here. We're not going to get into it, but the third quick story. Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw this guy. His name was Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. You don't know this if you've been to church or have ever read this sort of thing. A tax collector in their time was a Jewish person who had sold out to the enemy. He raised his hand and said, I will take a job where I collect taxes from the big, bad oppressor from the Roman Empire. I will take your money from my own people. I will skim quite a bit off the top 
to my own pockets, which is really wrong. It's wrong in our moral code. It's wrong in our religious code. I'm going to do it anyways, and I'm going to hand your money over to the oppressor. Now, Jesus sees this guy sitting at his job at his tax collector's booth and sees something that I don't see. What do I see? How dare that guy? What is wrong with that guy? What is, what is wrong with this next generation? <laughs> I don't get it. I don't understand how people would just forfeit their own soul, forfeit their own people. I don't understand how people would let, uh, let go of their own principles and morals. I don't understand how they would think that way. Have you ever had a moment, maybe recently, where you saw someone, you thought, I just can't understand how they got to that conclusion about that moral issue. I think it's a moral issue. I, I can't understand how they got to that conclusion about their choice in life for what they're choosing to do. I can't understand how they would get there. Do you see that happening in our culture right now? I just don't understand it. And my response is, not only do I not understand it, I don't want to talk to that person. It's kind of a typical response. It just kind of naturally comes out. I guess we're not going to be close anymore. I guess I'm going to mute you on Facebook. I guess I don't want to be around you anymore. I guess I don't want to get close to you anymore. I guess we're not friends anymore. I guess I'm going to start saying bad things about you from now on. Things that I think are true and right, but I'm still going to say them behind your back. That's the kind of response that happens to me. What does Jesus do? He sees this guy, this sellout, this guy that has made completely different choices than him, and says, Come follow me and be my disciple. Come and learn how to do life with me. Come and be on my team, be in my inner circle. Come and associate yourself with me, which means I'm associating myself with you. Come on in. Come on in. What is it, what is it about Jesus that enables him to respond in those ways? I often forget to look at those stories with that lens. How is he going to respond and why? Jesus has a natural state. He has a different nature. And the question, like I posed in the beginning, is not how do I pretend to have that nature also? But the question is how do I get that nature too? How do I become like that? Where I respond that way? How do I get that? The invitation by Jesus, I think, is to come and be like me. Come and learn how to do life with me. So I want to give you and give myself an exercise to do this week. I love the way uh, the author, Dallas Willard, talks about the spiritual life, the Christian life. He talks about these things that he calls spiritual disciplines. There are these things that we choose to do, and as we choose to do them and engage in them, sometimes we engage to do things like it could be uh, uh, giving something away, giving money. That, that's an intentional act. Sometimes a, a discipline would be to choose to not do something. It would be to, to choose not to say something for a while. It would be, be choose not to eat something for a while. So sometimes these disciplines, we do things. Sometimes we don't do things. We engage or we disengage. And, and as he explained it, there's, as we do these things, it almost puts us into a different mode and, and triggers things in us. And, and we actually do those intentionally, not, not for the, the sake of looking strong or courageous, but be, somehow by doing this thing, it actually brings up discomfort. And the whole idea is in that discomfort, uh, if you're withholding from eating, that, that idea of fasting, that discomfort of hunger ought to try to signal something else to you. You're trying to learn a different signal. The cue is, I'm hungry, so I'm going to eat. And he's like, no, no, choose not to eat. And then that, allow that cue, allow that signal to lean into 
but God, I believe you are my sustenance. And as you choose to do that, something substantially inside you starts to shift. So what would a spiritual discipline look like that would help us to become more gentle, less harsh, less intense in intense moments? Uh, The one thing I could think of is this idea of apologizing. Can you think of a time in your life when you've been intense or harsh with someone else? Maybe someone you're here with? Maybe someone in your family? Maybe a friend, former friend? What would it look like this week to go and lean into the discomfort of that memory and that moment and that dynamic in your relationship? What would it look like to actually recall what you did? Think about it. It might even help to write it down. I, I did this, and I, then I said that, and then I acted this way. And to, I, and to actually get some of the details. I wonder how my voice sounded. I wonder how my, my eyes looked. My sister and I had, uh, uh, we had this joke about my dad. He rarely got upset, but we did. We, he, there's Mr. Bug Eyes. His eyes just got intense, you know. Mr. Bug Eyes, here he comes. And the teenagers would kind of like use that as a joke, which would make his eyes bug more. Uh, I wonder, as you recall this moment, I wonder how my face looked. I wonder how my voice sounded. You actually, the discomfort of thinking, can you imagine that? Recalling that. I, I tried to not think about that. And for me, I, what I will be doing this week, as you know, because I'm saying it out loud, I will be doing this as I imagine, intentionally recall what it was like when I coached my daughter Grace. What, were that, what was that like? I mean, I thought it was like, you know, fervor, <laughs> passion on the sideline. When I was yelling, would you please just run, Grace? Would you please just run once today? I thought that was passion. I thought that was something maybe the other parents were like, yeah, yes. But I wonder from her point of view what that sounded like, what that looked like, what that felt like. I'm going to recall that. I'm going to try to take the painful moments to put myself in her shoes. What does it feel like? I'm going to allow myself to uh, feel regret and the pain and the discomfort of the moment I did, and then I'm going to, as appropriate uh, to a 12-year-old, go and communicate that to her. This is what I remember. Do you remember anything else? How was that for you? And she may or may not be able to answer. I don't know. She may not be willing to. She may or may not trust me. She may think this is a trap because she's going to say something. I'm like, oh, that's not really how it happened. That was passion. You don't understand. You were really slow. That could happen. I don't know. Well, I'm going to do my best to put myself in her shoes. I bet you felt this. I bet, I bet you saw this in me. And I'm so sorry. I'm going to do that and see what happens inside. That's how we cultivate gentleness. We don't just move on and try harder. We don't just pretend like it didn't happen. We do the work. We do the work. Lastly, the most important part of gentleness, which I think is a much bigger problem, is not our relationships with other people. It's our gentleness towards ourselves. I think we live in a culture where we have a strong voice. Most of us have a very strong voice directed back at us. We don't live in a culture that's really loud and screaming and yelling. This is La Jolla. We're very polite. You're all in church, which means you're extra polite. We're super nice to each other. Even if there's boiling anger, we're like, really? Good to see you, Jim. (laughs) Good to see you, Bill. We still have an element of decorum. 
I think, though, there is no stopping us from our harshness, our intensity towards ourselves. We can get away with that all day long. It happens inside. In the last week, I've done such stupid things. I can't tell you. I will tell you, actually. <laughs> Number one, I hosted a golf tournament last uh, Saturday. It was this big fundraiser, old mentor of mine, a couple other guys. Uh, uh, passed away two years ago. We, we hosted this first annual uh, fundraiser in his honor, memorial tournament. I, I organized the entire thing, the golf course, the tournament, the, the, the registration, the communications. We show up, and I'm literally thinking, gosh, this is going to be such a fun day. I show up at uh, about 7.45 for the 8.30 shotgun start. I walk in, and I'm around the, all the golf carts, guys are coming in. There's about 40 people playing. And the, uh, the tournament director of the golf course comes up. He goes, hey, where's everybody? I go, I don't know. Come in. He goes, we're shotgunning at 8 o'clock. I go, blink. No, we're not. It's 8.30. He goes, it's 8. Contract. He pulls, literally. I got your contract right here. It's 8 o'clock. And I said, I 100% believe you that on that contract says 8. I also know I told everyone 8.30. Stupid moment. Uh, Monday, uh, <clears throat> last weekend, I had uh, fixed my sprinkler valves. Not the sprinklers, the sprinkler valves. Quite impressed with myself. Thank God for YouTube. I've learned lots of things over the years, plumbing, electricity, construction. I've learned lots of things. I'd never done that before. I never replaced sprinkler valves. There's wiring, there's, there's plumbing, there's glue, there's digging. And I did it. And I turned them on and they all worked. I was actually, it was like the first time. Wow, they, I didn't have to go back and forth. I, one trip to Home Depot, it's a miracle. Monday, I get a text from my wife. I just came home. There's water coming out the sidewalk. One of those sprinkler valves was not glued properly, and sometime when my wife was gone, and I was gone, burst, and water was just, all the water, the main water valve line into our house was coming out. So stupid. Uh, last Tuesday, I know how to do this. I've been doing this for 20 years. Our credit card bill was due. I have like four reminders I woke up Wednesday, got to pay the credit card bill yesterday. What goes on in your head to yourself when you do stupid things? Why do you say to yourself, such an idiot? Or what, what is your phrase? What do you call yourself? What, what is it? You know, I'm such an idiot, I'm such a fool, such a moron, or infinitely worse. We all get there. I have to tell you this, though, and... and I have to tell you that in my 20s, I really, really, really deeply, deeply struggled with shame. Just, I don't know where it came from. It's just the voice in my head was, you're so freaking stupid. You're so stupid. Always blowing it. So dumb. They're, they're going to know how dumb you are. It's just, and for some reason, God's grace, I just leaned hard in my 20s to, God, I believe you believe something else. And I learned this little phrase that I have said countless times, millions of times. Come, Lord Jesus, let me know your love for me. Some days, there'd be a thousand times I'd say that in my head. And so last week, oh my gosh, 8.30. And everyone showed up at 8.20, as guys do at a golf tournament, ready to go. 
oh my gosh, I, I, how much money did I spend on water? All my neighbors know that, I, that I'm an idiot, <laughs> that I don't know how to do it. Oh my gosh, what did our credit score, what happened to that? Every single time I was I, with the tournament director, I had to feign, gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I instantly thought, God, <laughs> whoops, <laughs> that'll be a story next Sunday. Uh, my wife, how do I turn off water? In this intense moment, I'm like, you turn it to the right. <laughs> Credit card bill, uh, man, they're going to get mad. <laughs> Every single time this time, I've, I've cultivated, I truly believe God likes me. I truly believe God loves me. I love the phrase, Brennan Manning was an author. He said, do you believe that God loves you? Not in the theology way, not because God has to like your grandma. Do you believe that God likes you? Do you believe that? If you don't, now is your time to know that God likes you. I don't believe that we will learn to be gentle with the people in our lives until we learn to be gentle with ourselves. Is your view of yourself, is your view of God thinking about you harsh? Is God intense with you? You do not have an accurate view of God then. Now is your time. Now is your time to know that God really, really like is tickled by you. The way that I'm coaching my third, it took me three times. Oh, I should have a fourth kid. I'd be an amazing coach with my fourth kid. The way I coach my uh, eight-year-old girl, and I think the reason I've had two championships back-to-back, when she doesn't run on the field, I just go, like, that's so cute. She's tired. I don't yell at her. I don't get intense. Why? Because I've learned that God is gentle with me. I've learned to be gentle with myself. And it just comes out. I'm gentle with her, too. That's how this whole thing works. God does not want us to try harder. He wants us to learn better. God loves you. God likes you. He's so gentle with you. If you missed your payment, if you blew it, not if, when you blew it, he just looks at you as you would look at a toddler. Huh, no wonder you can't tie your shoes yet. You're two. No wonder you forgot your credit card bill. That's not your personality. No wonder you lost it when you were impatient with somebody. I get it. You got a lot going on. That's how God sees you. We can learn to see ourselves the same way. Come, Lord Jesus, let us know your love for us. Amen.
And now my shame is gone. I stand amazed in your love undeniable. Your grace goes on and on. And I will sing of your goodness forevermore. Serve our prayer. 